All right, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. You know, it's been uh, at least three weeks since we've, uh, we're on Galatians 2. So if you know, anybody's tuning in to the podcast and wondering where the rest of Galatians is, uh, we just had some things that, that have come up with sports and things like that. So we've had a couple throwbacks, I guess you could call it, uh, going back to last year, some, some sermons that were done last year were, were put in. So you'll notice the dates on the podcast going back to 2021. And I uh, was very happy with what was picked to be put on the podcast. It was really good to listen to that. So thank you for, for that. So we're going to get back into Galatians. And again, just to refresh a little bit, we got on the topic of leaven when we were going through Matthew 13. So leaven is corrupt teaching, you know, corrupt doctrine being introduced into the church. So that led me to Galatians on Wednesday nights because Galatians is all about not allowing anything like that to creep in. It's, it's almost impossible to not allow it, but you have to address it. You have to go to the Word of God, read it, study it, know it, be ready to... Just know the Word of God so well that you see the uh, counterfeit when it comes. You know, I've, I've heard several examples of people, you know, different people talk about how if somebody they knew that whether they worked in the banking industry or, or whatever, where they were dealing with money. And uh, the people, even, even uh, in the police department, you have a unit that's dedicated for finding and busting counterfeit operations. And they don't waste a whole lot of time studying all the counterfeits. They study the real thing so much that when the wrong thing comes, the counterfeit comes, it just stands out. They know something's not right with it. So I think that's good advice for, for the Christian church. We need to know the real thing so well we could spend a whole lot of time studying other religions, studying heresies from times going on by and what might happen now. We, we could be on the lookout and think about how much time would be dedicated to, to study all those things. And we would not study the Word of God. But if we would not worry about all of those things, but just know the true Word, know Jesus and who He is, know the wonderful Word of God so well that when the counterfeit shows up, we spot it. And it's, you know, it's something about having the Holy Spirit in you, and when you're around certain things, the Holy Spirit, that, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. The Word of God says that. So that goes right along with it. This past Sunday's sermon showed how Jesus himself 
made sure that those disciples that were on the road to Emmaus made sure that they understood how important the Scriptures were. You would think Jesus, He was right there with them. He could have shown them miracles where they would just right away believed on Him. But He didn't show them any miracles at all. I mean, there was really nothing that He did other than breaking bread. But He had, all He did, He expounded on the Word. Well, they had, back then, they had all the, all the writings of Moses. They had the writings of the prophets. They had the Psalms. They had all that. When Jesus left here and sent the Holy Spirit, then we start getting all of these other things that are in the New Testament. So Jesus set the precedent of the Scriptures being so important. So we need to know the Old Testament really well because it all points to Jesus. It's about Jesus. Even though Jesus, that name, is not in the Old Testament, but we see Him throughout. So Galatians is dealing with the problem of trying to keep the law when the whole New Testament, even though there's a lot of law in it, we need to figure out what we learn from the law, why it's there, and what the purpose of it is in getting us to not the type and the shadow, but the real thing, which is Jesus. And then the freedom or liberty that we get when we know Jesus and He's in us. And we're truly born again, then we have liberty. I mean, it's been a lot, we, we talked a lot about that. Just thinking back, we've talked about how Moses could not take the children of Israel into the promised land and why. We, we've covered a lot of this stuff, but it's still a danger for people. And, and like I've said many times before, I've met plenty of them that tried to add to the simple gospel message. Just try to add to it to make it fit more the human way of thinking than the spiritual way of thinking. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? It's like he's saying someone's put a magic spell on you and has lured you in that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. It's, he's just asking that question. You know all about Jesus and Him crucified, but you've allowed someone to cast a spell on you and has got you off course. You had the truth... But now, so he's not talking to people who are not uh, born again. He's talking to the church at Galatia. These people, they had the right thing and then went from that 
and were uh, tricked into something else that needed to go along with it. Verse 2, this only would I learn of you. He's, he's, he's asking them the, a question right here. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get it? How did you get that born-again experience? Was it by keeping the law or the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So he's thinking, that's, to, to think that way, you're being very foolish. And, he, and he's saying that they began right. So this, this tells us that if you have a new person coming to the church, they have been doing it their way, things are not going well, they heard about that message that they preach at the church, and they come in and they get convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they want salvation, and they get the Holy Spirit through believing. And then their human mind will start thinking, well, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Well, we have to be really careful not to throw a whole bunch of other things on them to where it would satisfy their human craving of doing things where they can check off and say, how did I grade in this? Did I get an A, a B? Do I need to improve? You know, there's maturity that comes with people coming back, listening to the Word being preached, listening to hymns, going to the Sunday school class, just talking amongst each other. You know, that, that's something that really should happen. There should be, just, just like uh, Michelle and I taking out that young couple. We, we, I, I knew they were going through a struggle within a church setting. I said, we're available for you if you have questions, if you just want to talk about it. I, we took them out to dinner, bought them dinner, and they just spilled their guts. You know, they just... So I got to see where they were coming from, shared scripture with them. They knew scripture. They were very young. I saw myself many, many years ago in him. And the things that I did wrong, the things I might have been right in, but I just didn't go about it the right way. So... Those uh, small groups, people, inviting people over to your house and sitting down and having a meal with them and just being there for them and showing them that you love them and just be able to talk about these things, uh, spiritual things, they mature. And over time, you'll become more and more able to live a Christian life. See, the world out there, the school systems are corrupting the minds of, of kids. Bad, really bad. You have all this entertainment that's on a cell phone that these kids carry with them everywhere. They are, and it's, the, Satan is so tricky, and he uses that to get things into their minds, and it's messing up adults as well. It's, it's providing a really easy way for people to get into sinful things. 
how, whatever it might be. And we're up against all those things. But yet a person might come to church once a week and, get, and gets 20, 30 minutes of good Bible teaching and then all of that other time throughout the whole week that it's, they're not getting anything. If they don't sit down and read their Bibles, if they're not praying and turning, get, leaving the cell phone away and not watching TV, it, all, the, all the different things that can just come inside of our minds that mess us up and keep us back. And if you allow all those worldly things to keep coming in, you get stagnant in your Christian walk. You just can't do what you really need to do. So trying to balance out increasing knowledge in, in, in the Word and spiritual things, but not making it into a burdensome thing for people. We've got to be led by the Spirit in those things. Have ye, four, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, this is, this is a very important verse. Listen very carefully. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's a pretty short verse. And all it says is that Abraham believed God. It doesn't say he believed in a God. He believed God. See the difference there? There are so many people who believe in a God. I, you've heard me say it many times. I think that an atheist believes in a God. But the definition of being an atheist would be they don't believe there is a God. I've never met one that if they were falling to their death wouldn't holler out for God. Adrian Rogers talked about a friend of his who had that trucking company back years ago and the thousands of people that they would hire at this big trucking company and how they always, any new employee, they always did the lie detector test. They would hook them up, and they would ask them questions. And they always asked, do you believe in God? Anybody who ever said, no, I do not believe in God, it showed they were lying. He said it never failed. He always asked that question, because once he did that a few times, he started <laughs> you know, seeing the results. So out of curiosity, he just kept asking it every time for years. And it never failed. If a, if a person said no, I'm sure most people said yes, but if there was ever somebody who said no, I do not believe in God, it showed they were lying. So believing, believing God, it's way different than believing in a God. And... It's when you believe, simply believe. Remember the, the uh, story in Acts 16 of the Philippian jailer? He, he, he listened to the praises. 
he listened to the praying, he listened to Paul and Silas, and, and then he realized that they didn't leave when they could have left. They, they could have made a, a nice prison break. They had their opportunity, and he was about to kill himself. All of that softening his heart when he realized they were still there and were, were telling him, don't hurt yourself, he wanted what they had. And he asked, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe. Why not a long list? He's asking, what must I do? Well, here's all the things you, can, you need to do. <clears throat> Will you be at church Sunday? That's number one. Are you going to bring any money to put in a plate? That's number two. Are you, you know, it, if you can do all of these things, then you can be saved. What do you think? You in for it? It's, it was just simply believe. Just believe in what Jesus did for you on that cross, and that's it. He's done it all for you. You just need to accept it. It's a free gift of grace that you get just simply through faith. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. You know, Abraham, that was a long, long, long time before Jesus ever shows up being born in Bethlehem. And it was said then, way back then, in thee shall all nations be blessed because he's the father of faith. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, did you catch what that just said? You, if, you're, if you're trying to please God through keeping the law, which the Jewish nation, they were proud of having the Mosaic law. They were very proud of it. There were 613 laws, very significant number. Six and thirteen. Six, number of man, thirteen, the number of apostasy. Um, by the way, you know, the vote to separate ended up being the 88.888888 all the way out to, you know, you find a nine down there somewhere. But the, that's, eight is a number of new beginnings. Well, when, when my vote came up, you know, when I walked up, I, I was letting other people in front of me, and then they picked up the ballot to hand it to me, and it was number 13. And the nice lady who was sitting there said, uh, you sure you want 13? And I thought about it for a second, and I went, what came into my mind was the children of Israel walking around the walls of Jericho. And I said, how many times did they walk around the You know, Jericho represented the world. I think that the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, has become very worldly. And all I could think about, Jericho, worldly. It represented the world. When they took that city, they were to go in and take nothing. Don't take anything. 
Any, anything that was taken, I think they could take and put in the treasury, but nobody could take anything for themselves because we're not supposed to hang on to any worldly things. And I just thought about how worldly the church organization had become, and I said, they walked around those walls a total of 13 times and the walls fell. I said, yes, I want that number. So 613, 13 laws. Six the number of man, 13 the number of apostasy, rebellion. Uh, Samson was the 13th judge. If you count them all, uh, there, there's, there's uh, two that usually get counted together, which would make Samson 12, but if you count each individual one, it'll come out to where he's the 13th. And he was the one that was the hero of all of them. He was the hero because he was so strong, he killed so many Philistines and, and killed even more in his death than he did in his life. Uh, the opposite of that would be Jesus saving so many people while he walked this earth, but he saved so many more in his death. Samson stretched out his arms to push the pillars over to cause death of the enemy. Jesus stretched his arms out on that cross to cause death of his enemy. You know, he, 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 de he defeated Satan in dying on the cross. Satan thought he was winning. Jesus is dying. Whoa, how was this happening? But Jesus saved so many people by going through his death. All right, so cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you just read that, you go, oh, well, i got to keep every one of the laws perfectly or I'm cursed. No, it's, it's already determined you can't do it. No one ever could. So if you're trying to be saved by the law, you're cursed. You're, you're done for before you ever tried. You would have to be perfect in keeping the law. Jesus was the only one that did it. I'm going to uh, read something out of uh, my Adrian Rogers Legacy Bible. And it's called Perfection. It's, it's it, the freedom from the prison of perfectionism. Because that's exactly what you would have to do. And those people who try to add something to the simple gospel, that's what they are. They're trying to be perfectionist. Now, I've been accused of being a perfectionist. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe trying to satisfy people through your childhood and not being able to satisfy the people you want to satisfy and you just feel like, you know, and it might, might be, you know, you'll have teachers, you'll have instructors, you'll have different, that, that are just trying to make you the best. You know, they want to get the most out of you and, and, and that's, that's good. Uh, it could be parents who just, they just want more. They, they, they want to see you be successful and they push you hard and you don't feel like you're ever measuring up, and you try even harder, and you just, you just can never measure up. Uh, you, you take a, a, a dad who's got, maybe he was really talented as, a, as an athlete, and his son, he wants his son to be a really awesome quarterback, and he just, he's, all, he's all, never happy with the performance. You should have done this, you, you, you messed that up, and they become perfectionist. 
the kid turns into a perfectionist or they just totally lose it. And, and they never feel like they're good enough. Well, we can make that in the church. We can make people feel like, well, because we're all so far away from being like Jesus, but yet we're always told you've got to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? And all, we can never get anywhere close to what Jesus was able to do. So is that going to destroy us? Are we going to turn into legalists? Well, you've got to keep this law, you've got to keep that law. Or are you going to live in the liberty of what Jesus did for you? You're accepted by God because you're in Jesus. Is that good enough? Or are you trying to please everybody else? You know, we can make church a very burdensome thing. Now, we've got to call out sin when we see it. Now, if, if you are doing something that is against the Word of God, then you go to that person, but you go to them understanding that there might be something in your life you're not even seeing. And you go to them, you got to be humble about it. you got to say, look, I'm just seeing this. I know that I shouldn't be the one telling you this because I'm an imperfect person as well. you got to know how to do it. But it's important that you keep things out of the church. You keep people you love from going down the wrong road. So, that, so there's a balance there. So, all right, let me, let me read this. God has called us. This is Adrian Rogers. This is a little uh, uh, one page in his Bible where he just talks about Galatians 3, and that's where we're at. God has called us to freedom and liberty in every area of our lives. But Satan, if he can't keep us from being saved, still wants to keep us in bondage. That's what he was doing to the saints in Galatia. And it may be what he is doing to you today, keeping you in the prison of perfectionism. Now, perfectionism may sound like a good thing, but I can tell you in a sentence just what perfectionism is. It is judging yourself by your achievements. It means you measure your worth in terms of productivity and accomplishment. You're always striving for unattainable goals, never reaching them. Therefore, you are never, ever fulfilled. Does this sound like you? then you, too, need to know how to be liberated from this prison. Paul told the Galatians, who had, who, they, these Galatians had been saved by the grace of God, that they had been bewitched or seduced by Satan to fall into a performance trap. Paul basically said to them, did you get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments or by trusting in Jesus Christ? Then he asked the key question, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? By flesh, Paul means our own human nature, struggling to be good so that we can be received by God. But grace teaches that we are not accepted by God on the basis of our performance. Once we get saved, we seem to forget that. 
we began in the Spirit, and then somehow we think we're made perfect through our own efforts. We build our own prison with this thinking. And here's what life behind bars is like for a perfectionist. First of all, the perfectionist is never satisfied. He can't be because perfection is unattainable, as are the impossible goals he sets for himself. And he is critical of other people. He is judgmental and hard to live with, intolerant of failure in others. A perfectionist in a church will ruin the fellowship. For him, the music is never good enough, the sermon never perfect enough. What? The fellowship never sweet enough. This is what life is like within the prison walls of perfectionism. And identifying such a prisoner isn't difficult. Just look for someone who is an idealist, not a realist. Someone who has, who has to be the best, do not do his or her best, but be number one. Someone who values himself by what he does, what he has, or what he obtains, rather than what he is. A prisoner of perfection feels guilty if he ever relaxes. He's goal-oriented and driven rather than led and can never let go of his failure. He dwells on his mistakes, feeling he must punish himself for having failed. Now, for everyone living in this prison, it's time for a great escape. It's time to be set free because we've been, we've been called to liberty. So here are three steps to making your prison break. Number one, yeah, I think, uh, have you ever seen uh, Shawshank Redemption? The movie Shawshank Redemption where he makes a break? That was, that was a good movie. It was a really good movie. But that's not part of the steps. So the first step would be getting a poster of Raquel Welch and putting it on the wall to hide the hole that you're digging, you know? It's not in here. <clears throat> uh, number one, learn and believe that God has accepted you by grace. And he does this, the Bible says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's out of Ephesians 1.6. How does God make you accepted? By his grace. Not by your attainment, not by your works, not by your striving. Grace is God's acceptance of us. Faith is our acceptance of God's acceptance of us. Make sense? Grace is, God, is God's acceptance of us. Faith is our acceptance of God's acceptance of us. Said only the way Adrian Rogers can do it. Number two, accept yourself. In God's eyes, you are special. God has accepted you. you. You accept yourself. That doesn't mean to make peace with sin or sloppiness or laziness or arrogance, but reprogram your self-concept. Say with the Apostle Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. The third step to breaking free, learn to accept other people. 
Don't demand perfection out of anybody because they can't give it. Remember, they don't have to earn their acceptance with God. So why should they have to earn it with you? When you accept other people, not only do you free them to be all they can be, but you free yourself. And when you escape the performance trap, you'll not do less, you'll probably do more. You'll achieve more. You'll enjoy it a whole lot more. You'll be a better parent, a better spouse, a better servant of God. So make a break for it today and enjoy the freedom that is yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Pretty good, huh? Very good. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Joseph was helping me doing floors. We were putting down some hardwood floors for somebody. And he was measuring and trying to get it close to the wall. And I'm like, Joseph, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be exact. <laughs> Is that any better? I think I'm getting a little better. No? Verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now, how many times is that phrase in the Bible? The just shall live by faith. Hmm? It's three times in the New Testament. Yep, you got it. Habakkuk, Habakkuk the prophet Habakkuk. It's, that's where it is in the old, and that's uh, 2.4. And then in the new, it's in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, which we just read, and then uh, Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith. That, that is the verse that changed Martin Luther. Martin Luther was, it's like Galatians was written for him. He was trying to earn everything. He, he couldn't get over some sinful thoughts that would come up in his mind, and he thought, oh my gosh, I'm not saved. Because if I was saved, then I wouldn't have these bad thoughts. He, he, he felt guilty for being comfortable, knowing that there were people out there that didn't have heat in their home. You know, I mean, this was in the 1500s. And he was thinking about people who didn't have, and if he was warm, he felt guilty. So he would sleep with no covers, and he would shiver during the night. He would feel guilty for sleeping on a, on a comfortable bed, so he would sleep on a slab of wood. He would actually take a whip and just and, and beat himself. And, and, and you talk about being in bondage to trying to make yourself good enough to be accepted by God, and he was in torments over it, and he read the just shall live by faith. And he finally got it. He, he, he was saved by the word of God. He, he was trying to teach it to people, but he didn't even have it in his own heart. That's Martin Luther, who ended up, after he was truly born again, we all know him now. You know, he, he was the one who nailed up the 95 Thesis on the door of the Catholic Church he exposed all the corruption that was in the Roman Catholic Church. And he started what we call the Protestant movement. And all of the churches in America come down, 
well, other than the Roman Catholics, of course, but you got the Roman Catholics that have endured all the way through, but then you have all the Protestant denominations that, that came out of breaking away and getting back to the Word of God. And for each person to be able to get the Word for themselves. You know, I know Catholics. I've talked to them. And, and they'll admit, admit to you that they are basically told you don't need to read the Word because you're not going to understand it anyway. You need to have a priest to explain things to you. You need a priest to go to God for you. They're the mediator between you and God. They worship Mary more than they worship Jesus. It's, and it's in our Bible. We can, we can read about it in our Bibles. There's, uh, especially in Revelation. So, I know they're wrong in all of that, but there, are, they, there have been some really great people who've come out of Roman Catholicism. Mother Teresa is one of them. So, Martin Luther, you read about him, he's a great one to read on, and every time I see that verse, I think of him, and i got to remember that the just shall live by faith. I have to remember that all the time. All right, well, we're going to only get halfway through chapter 3. We'll try to finish it up next. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this time that we have that we can come together and study your word. And Father, I thank you for just the different ways that we're able to get the word out. And Father, that I, I'm just praying that we would be people who would not be ashamed to talk about these things out in the world, wherever we may go. Father, I'm praying that each and every one of us would have a burden in our heart for those who just don't know. And Father, I, I pray that we would see the gifts that you have given to each and every one of us. And Father, each one of us has a way that we could be your messenger. And Father, it doesn't need to be quoting scripture, but Father, we have different gifts. We, we may have a gift of hospitality. We may be able to just invite people in and, and feed them a meal and let them know that they're welcome and then just out of kindness be able to touch someone's heart. Father, we may have a gift of, of prayer where we're at home and, and we're praying that all the others in the church that might be going out will have divine appointments. Father, there's so many things that we have amongst the whole body that we can do your work. And Father, I pray that it's just part of our life. It's not something that we get up and say we have to do. It's just something we want to do because we have your love inside of us. And that when we see someone who may not be lovable, but we'll love them anyway because you loved us when we were not lovable. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray.